You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This is episode 40. I am Trevor. I'm Christo. And together, our power combined, we are Cards and Cubes. Uh, today we are going to be talking about some games we've been playing. We're going to dive into a, our topic for the day, which is uh, the concept or designing approach or uh, just basic ideology of streamlining games. After that, we'll talk about some games that are on our horizon, and then we'll let you get back to your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into that, I have a special game planned for just Christo. Hmm. Christo, I am looking at a page of stats on BoardGameGeek.com. <laughs> and I thought you were going to say Board Game Arena, actually, so <laughs> Board Game Geek is probably better. Yeah, not Board Game Arena, uh, but BoardGameGeek.com. And I am looking at the highest played games from the 17th of January of this year through the 16th of February of this year. So basically the last 30 days. Uh, Because everybody in the world, as you know, logs all of their plays on BGG. So this is going to be the most accurate data you've ever heard in your (laughs) life. (laughs) Actually, does BG stats record to BGG? I think it does for most people. Yeah. So So actually it's pretty good. Christo is referencing an app that you can download called BG Stats. That's actually really cool. I've been using it for a couple months now that allows you to track the games you play, who you play it with, where you play them, how long the game takes you, and then you can buy some add-ons that do some sort of statistical analysis of of your play style. Uh, But anyway, so the, the quiz or the game for today is can you guess at least three of the most played games in the last 30 days, according to BGG. Uh, my initial instinct is to say something like Wingspan or Azul, actually. I don't know if those are on there at all. Any comment? They, <laughs> they are both on there. Wow. <laughs> Which Azul, though? Uh, probably actually the first one, I'd say. Because I think people never really got into Sintra was a weird one. I think that's definitely not it. Maybe Summer Pavilion, because I think that feels kind of more fun. Uh, Sintra feels more gamey, and I think a lot of people didn't like that. I think people like the simplicity, which is why I'm saying the first one. But I don't know. What's that the answer? would be correct. Yeah. So Wingspan and Azul are both on the list. Wingspan comes in at number two. With 8,311 Oh gosh, uh, don't tell me Scythe plays. is like one or something. And Azul comes in at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8th place with 4,368 logged plays. I think Scythe is too long for it to be on there, but I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know, is it on there? Scythe? Scythe is indeed on the list, but what? it is not near the top. Well, I mean, yeah. it's on the t- top 100, but it is not in the top 10. Yeah, I need to think of, like, simpler games, some kind of card game. Gosh, I don't know what's come out lately that's been ridiculously popular. 
Yeah, this grid is actually not... Splendor, Splendor, Splendor. Are you kidding me? Splendor. Splendor is not in the top what? ten. You got uh, one. You got two strikes left, and you're out. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to get one more. That's right, everybody. If if Riso gets two wrong, he's kicked off the podcast. Gosh, I don't want to <laughs> cheat like on board game geek or something. I'm trying to remember like what's been on the hotness lately. Oh, Actually, let me see if Splendor's gosh, on there. Gosh, I don't know. No, Splendor's. Oh, it should be on there. I think people are a little bit yeah, tired of it. Though. I think Splendor's in the top twenty. I think it oh, has three thousand fifty nine plays. What? Uh, gosh, I had a thought, but then it disappeared. Um, I don't want to say Gizmos because I think that's even less popular. Oh, I was going to say Seven Wonders, actually. That's a, like, all-time classic or Seven Wonders Duel. Those are my two guesses, and I um, guess I just give up. Did you get, which one do you guess first? Um, Seven Wonders is kind of old. I don't know if, like, people are playing an expansion. So I'd say Duel because it also recently received an expansion. So hopefully, and it's a quick liked game by many with the pandemic two-player game. So, yeah, Duel. Yeah. Yeah, Duel is number six. Yeah, I win. I, I retain the right to be on the podcast. <laughs> uh, the Seven Wonders is also on the list at 16. It yeah. lo- they've got 3,423 log plays as of right now. Seven Wonders Duel has 5,880 logged plays. Um, Gosh. Keep so, wondering yeah. what's on the top 10. Surprise me, I guess. I don't know. This is yeah, like the unofficial right. top 10 of what's <laughs> popular on Board Game Geek lately. Yeah, all right. So I'm just trying to... the This list actually doesn't have numbers next to it, which makes it really hard to just easily tell you what is what. But let me just count to number 10 real quick. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, <laughs> nine, ten. You don't backwards. Okay. I don't know if yeah. it's an official top 10 or anything. Yeah, so I hit the drum roll. Uh, the number 10 with 4,183 plays is My City. Oh, yeah. I should number have guessed that. Number 9 is Welcome to... With 4,338 plays. Kind of surprising. Cartographers is on there then? That's another reminder that I forgot about. Cartographers is not on the top what? 10. But it is, I think, in the top 20. Or maybe it is the 20th top. Cartographers has 3,067 plays. Anyway, uh, I like it better than Welcome to. But anyway, I keep going. 8 is Azul. Uh, 7 is Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion with 4,483. Yeah, yeah. Number 6... Oh, maybe I said it wrong before. Hold on. Gosh, this is so bad with like not having the numbers. One, two, three, four, five. five. Yeah. Se- Seven Wonders Duel was actually five. Yeah. Six places Gloomhaven with 5,147. <laughs> so Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven has- is the answer to everything, basically, <laughs> yes. in, in board gaming. Uh, everything like top anything has Gloomhaven on it. So, yeah, top, anyway. Top 10 dexterity games. Yeah. Uh, then Seven Wonders Duel was uh, fifth. Fourth is Terraforming Mars with 6,305 plays. Wow, still. That's crazy. Yeah, and the new one just launched on Kickstarter, I think. the Terraform- Terraforming Mars, the card game, <laughs> because it wasn't Spoiler. a card game before. Uh, yeah, so then number three is Marvel Champions, the card game. 6,443 log plays. That's a real surprise in my opinion, but I don't know. And 
Number two was Wingspan, 8,311 plays. And then the number one game of all last 30 days is The Crew, Quest for Planet 9. Wow, that's actually really surprising. I don't know if people are like logging plays on Board Game Arena as well, because I see it played there as well, maybe in real life. Yeah, that's could crazy. Be. 13,958 plays. Uh, I don't know if also they count every mission that you play as a game because like that game has 50 missions and in one sitting you yeah. can definitely go through like 15, 20 missions. So I don't know. But yeah, I would that's say crazy. that's kind of the cheaty way to count playing that <laughs> <Yeah>. game. <laughs> but it do- it is like, you know, pro- like 6,000 plays ahead of Wingspan. So maybe people are, I mean, it's also sh- a lot shorter, right? But uh that's yeah. a that's a really strange game to count sessions in because of that because you can sit down and play it for one mission which is like two minutes or you can sit down for two hours and play like 20 missions yeah. and both are counted as like one play i guess it's kind of questionable of what a play is so maybe that's why it's kind of inflated but still i'm really really uh surprised that it's so popular that, yeah. that's crazy it's uh appears to be doing pretty well um, I, when I log the crew in BG, the BG Stats app, I only log it once per session, but I do round counts. So, you know, you may play once, but we have like 30 rounds or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, there's your top 10 games played in the last 30 days. Risto is still allowed to be on the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, no, I have a pretty good pulse on like what's popular generally. Except I don't always like it, but yeah, I like some of the things on that that list. Christo, man of the people. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our games played then. Uh, so, uh, I just want to talk about the game that we both played with Trevor over the last couple of weeks, actually three weeks, and then we actually did a playthrough, so no surprise that we've uh, played it, uh, played a live playthrough on the YouTube channel, and that's Carnegie. Um, so, Carnegie is... Uh, I haven't a done board my- game. <laughs> board game, yeah, it definitely <laughs> is a board game. Um, I was going to say, I have, I'm looking at my... Uh, the, pointers here and i didn't do my homework to, to who the designer is uh who is George, the dis- oh yeah i actually remember mentioning that the french on- guy that we can't pronounce very well yes i remember mentioning that on the uh live playthrough and i now remember that he's also done things like toi and tournay maybe i don't know uh good good games toi, in the past. carson city black angel tournay yeah yeah lots of lots of good games participant in generally good games uh, the game is one through four players and actually uh the weird thing is we kind of both played solo games quite a bit because their uh, game is implemented on board game arena and we just kind of to practice and just kind of get the game flow we played quite a few solo games and also if there's no opponents i have played solo games to kind of test the strategies out it's kind of good that way uh, kind of interesting because it's a complex game, but you can play a solo game in like 25 minutes and just kind of experiment with stuff. So very interesting. Uh, I actually haven't looked at exactly how the solo game is scored. I just kind of play against and pretend the opponent's real, but I think it's kind of random based on card reveals. So not the most elaborate uh, solo game or anything or like intelligent, I think, but it just kind of blocks things around the board and does actions. 
Um, so if you've watched our playthrough, I'm not going to spend too long. Basically, the game is a simultaneous action selection game. Uh, you select an action and then you do it. And the other person does the exact same action. Uh, you don't even get a benefit. The only benefit is doing it first, which is important sometimes. But uh, unlike games like, I don't know, other games of... Uh, similar kinds you don't even get the benefit for for doing it uh, the benefit is hopefully you're better at it uh, by the way you've set up your board you have a board in front of you which is kind of a tableau and it's kind of a network building ish game or at least it looks that way but in reality it's the network is only for scoring like strictly for scoring there's no generation of resources via your network kind of like council of four or something like Anstotonica or something actually Anstotonica it's also for scoring so i guess it's kind of a network building game uh yeah so trevor what was kind of the most memorable aspect of the game for you um after having played it now uh i guess i should say i played it against real opponents a couple of times i still haven't played the three or four player game but i was going to mention that uh what's what's your impression of the game or maybe the most memorable thing or what you liked yeah i think um i really quite enjoy games where the active player chooses the action and then everybody else at the table gets to do that action or some version of that action. I find that those games keep you engaged in what's going on. And so I, I think sort of the, the highlight of how this game works, the simultaneous action selection uh, is the highlight for me. And I think that the interesting twist on that mechanic that this game does is that, um, so throughout the game, you'll be sending your workers from, I mean, you're, you're playing as companies, you know, building the steel industry or, or whatever. Um, and throughout the game, you're sending your workers from your company building, which is your player board, out into the U.S. into one of uh, four different regions, the West, Midwest, South, or the Northeast, or North, and or I think it's just the East. Um, and when you select an action um, from one of the four available actions, you're going to activate either a donation round where you're basically contributing to end game scoring uh, points by spending money or you're going to activate income for a particular region and what that means is for each person that you have sent to that region that is being activated you're going to pull back some workers and then activate a benefit depending on um, how much you've invested into the corresponding track of that region. So for example, you might have upgraded your track to uh, $4. So for each worker that you pull back from that region, you get $4, which could be really cool if you have like three people there. Um, so I, I liked the action, the simultaneous action selection a lot. And I liked that you have sort of this timing game where the action you select or the action that you hope the other players do or do not select because you either are or n are not ready. Um, that makes this cool timing game where you try to select actions in a certain sequence um, to maximize your your return off those actions. I don't know how you felt about that. 
Uh, yeah, I like uh, that as well. We were actually talking about it in regards to some other games, <laughs> like the simultaneous action selection mechanics and whatnot. Uh, I think it's kind of cool that they're experiencing some kind of a comeback a little bit in 2021. I think there hadn't been a lot of games with kind of follow mechanics. Generally, they're kind of uh, 4X kind of type games have them. Uh, the mechanics where someone does an action and there's a lot of like follow uh that's been kind of a for some reason a 4x trope i guess uh but it's kind of coming back spoilers there's another game that i'm going to talk about which kind of has a similar thing i really like it uh dates back for me to games like race for the galaxy puerto rico uh where very similar kind of thoughts of how do you do a better action than your opponent while also kind of hedging against not getting really screwed if he does an action which is not good for you basically be ready kind of for anything but try to push your advantage uh kind of uh, mechanics uh but i think i thought it was really cool uh the game does feel like we were saying, I think previously, a little bit repetitive. Um, that's my only downside of it. I really enjoyed uh, the tableau building in front of you. Like Trevor was saying, like sending your workers and getting them back. There's like a circulation of workers. Uh, so there's been other games with tableau building, notably, I think, Manhattan Project games, where you build cards in front of you and worker placement, and they have like different types of workers as well. So kind of very similar-ish. Um, but this game kind of takes it to the next level because like not only do you just assign i think workers to your cards or activate them or whatever but you also have to worry about like paths and actually an economy of movement because you have to get the workers there from like a lobby uh, which is kind of hilarious like abstract i guess because I mean, what you're doing is in the game is pretty abstract, but you have to worry about kind of like you have enough movement to actually load your department. So it's not, it's like kind of the next level and like spatial mini game. Uh, so it's not just like having a tableau of cards in front of you and you just activate them. You also have to worry about movement. Uh, pretty cool. Uh, and I think, yeah, it's you're kind of like building a movement board. So your tableau is actually part of your mini game, which is, which is neat. So it's not just activating an engine, it's actually part of your game. Yeah, so I think that's probably like the most unique thing about the game. Um, network building is also not a super trendy mechanic, so it does have like these kind of a weird combination of a lot of unusual things, and I think it comes together in a pretty pretty decent package. Uh, a little bit, like I say, uh, uh, repetitive maybe, uh, but I still kind of want to experiment. The other thing is I kind of was wondering if all the paths of the game are balanced, but that's going to come from playing the game more. Uh, basically, there's a way that you kind of build up an engine, which is build a lot of buildings, and that seems really strong, kind of overwhelmingly strong. And I was wondering uh, if there's uh, another way to basically play the game with like lots of departments and building a huge tableau in front of you, because that's another way to score a lot of points. Seems like it's more difficult, but uh, I did one game solo against a bot and I scored pretty well, so I think it's viable. It just needs more practice, probably. So yeah, overall, pretty cool game. Um, I'm yeah, looking. I... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm looking forward to playing it more. Yeah, what were you gonna say? Yeah. I, um... Definitely looking forward to playing it more as well. Um, I think you're on to the right thing there when you're saying that you know building all of your buildings out is kind of the obvious way to play. 
Um, and what I mean by that is that that's kind of what you would gravitate towards as coming in as a new player. But, you know, and, and other strategies may depend on what um, different department tiles are available to build in your Tableau because there are departments that help generate money and cubes and all that. So it, I think it is possible to do like a, a really heavy department game but it seems a lot more difficult to pull off. And if you're doing that at the expense of also building, then you're potentially costing yourself 36 points, which is the maximum you can score if you build the network correctly on the board. So it seems like a taller order to to do a non-building strategy, but I think given the right, circumstances with the right tiles it it maybe it's possible yeah yeah the offset to that is technically departments especially top row they score points as well so like you're giving up those points in theory if you're building lots of buildings it is it does seem like more thinking and more difficult game but uh maybe it's more it's going to be fun to experiment trying to do well with that yeah yeah that's cool and and just to kind of summarize risu and i kind of share the same uh i don't know if it's a concern but kind of just a hesitancy with the game is that there's not a there's really not a lot of variability um in the game design uh other than the different types of departments that are available in the game that changes every game but other than that the game is pretty much the same every time I think the Kickstarter version is going to have additional tiles to change things up, so maybe that'll help. But that was just kind of the impression after having played the game, I don't know, 10 or 11 times. Um, it, it kind of seemed like it's going to have a very similar but good experience. Kind of flow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's great design, a lot of fun to play, but I think it's just going to be it's going to be pretty samey when you play it so it might be one yep. to just pull out every once in a while definitely very thinky kind of a heavier game so it's on that side of the spectrum but anyway what else have you played trevor over All the right. last couple of weeks so we'll go from super heavy to super light <laughs> uh one game that i played with you and have, have played um at home with re my wife uh a couple times in the last couple of weeks is a, a game called glasgow uh, Glasgow is designed by Mandela Fernandez Grandon, if I'm pronouncing that right, and uh, published by Lookout Games. This is a two-player game, really light, uh, sort of and rondel action selection type game. Basically, what you're doing is you're building the city of Glasgow, uh, one building at a time, until you have built 20 buildings, and that's all that Glasgow needs. They don't need more than 20 buildings. Uh, so what I mean by Rondell is the game sets up by just laying, um, how many tiles, probably 15 tiles in a circle. And, um, uh, there's four architect tiles where if you go to the architect tile, you're going to build a building. And then between each architect, except for two, there's two architects that are right next to each other. There are four, uh, patron or civilian or person tiles where you can get resources 
exchange resources, maybe activate factories, which are basically just engine type tiles. And you, it, it has a similar mechanic to like a Takedo uh, type game where if you are behind the player in front of you, so whoever's behind, it's their turn. So you can move as far as you want, but that's going to allow the person behind you to do as many actions they want, basically. Yeah, I was going to say it's called like time track, I think is what they call it on Board Game Geek. Uh, just time track. Yeah, time track. So it, it has that play style. Um, the game's really simple. There's just a couple of types of resources. I think there's like bricks, metal, and uh, coins. And then the wild resources is, w- is one beer, which you can technically <laughs> steal from each other. But I don't know how that's going to happen because you have would have to just like jump way ahead because there's only one beer some, tile. <laughs> some buildings produce it. I think we figured it out. I don't oh, know if it never right. happened with you. In I your forgot games. about that. Yeah. The, the tile didn't come out in our game, but it's it's possible to come out. A factory produces it so someone can take it and then other person goes to the factory and steal it from them. Kind of an edge case, but yeah, it could yeah, happen. It did not happen the other times I played it. <laughs> So if that's any indication. Uh, but yeah, so then you collect your resources. Then you go to these architect tiles. You build. There's always two buildings at every architect. And so you can you know, go to the architect tile that has the building you want to build. And then basically just the buildings are an assortment of set collection scoring or multiplication scoring by collecting different types of buildings. And then you can build factory buildings, which are just kind of resource uh, production buildings uh, in in the middle. You place all the buildings in the middle uh, of the circle, and once you've constructed twenty buildings, the game is over. Uh, Risto and I played it once. What did you think of the game, Risto? Yeah, I was gonna say just in short, it's a very simple, straightforward game. And I was actually looking at Board Game Geek, and it's his first game, which is kind of impressive because it doesn't feel like a first game. It actually feels like a pretty good, like complete small game. Yes, like thirty minute quick playing two player game, but uh, pretty pretty good, like first effort, I'd say. Um, I guess he has another game coming up, which is something completely different. Uh, but yeah, pretty cool. Overall, I'd say it's, uh, really fits really well with actually, I was going to say the cosmos, like two player line games, but, uh, I guess lookout has the same kind of format. Uh, I really kind of like those games. Actually, uh, most of them are, uh, I like, even if the reviews are not super stellar, um, and this one is no exception. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 It's a decent game. I think it, um, it it's, has some like luck and top decking and stuff, oh, but I sure. mean that's expected yeah. in a thirty-player, two-player game of this kind. I think it's fine. It's yeah. supposed to be kind of light, lighter weight and not super serious, and it doesn't feel that serious. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's light. It's kind of it's fun to play. It's it's uh, not terribly thinky, so it, it moves along pretty quickly. Like Krista said, the only detriment i had with the game really was that well <laughs> the first thing is i made the wrong decisions <laughs> i went for a, a big score strategy that didn't pay off because i couldn't afford the final building at the last turn of the game so it was really close to being very close in score though so just yeah. kind of very unfortunate one resource missing type situation yeah for and a lot I of points i think this game's really going to end up that way a lot of times so if I, I don't know that scoring is going to be super close every game. I think that what you're going to do is you're going to push to score 
something and you're either going to miraculously pull it off or you're going to fall short and you know you're not you're going to be like half the score or 10 15 points behind yeah it's pretty cool though uh, yeah. overall i like it so that's glasgow all right uh just quick mention for me i don't know what trevor's last game is going to be but i want to talk about uh, treasure hunter have we talked about this previously on the podcast? I can't even remember, actually. The first rule about Treasure Hunter is you don't talk about Treasure Hunter. Yeah, maybe I didn't. Uh, we previously played it a couple of times with uh, Trevor and Ari at their house, uh, three-player. But uh, we played it at six players last week. We had a game night of amazingly high player count, which we haven't had for a while. So Treasure Hunter is a drafting game. It's a pretty straightforward, like, straight drafting game. Kind of like Seven Wonders Duel, Sushi Go, Nevermore. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's a wonderful world. Not really. It's a little bit more complicated. Seven Wonders. I mentioned Seven Wonders. <laughs> anyway, uh, straight drafting Have you ever game. heard of Seven Wonders? Yeah, Seven Wonders. Uh, straight drafting game the game's called treasure hunter not seven wonders uh it's by richard Gar garfield i think is his name yes uh the guy who designed magic the gathering and other games uh he did design magic gathering right i'm I yes. the, the right person okay um also bunny kingdom actually another kind of straight drafting game with a board actually that one is kind of more boardy <laughs> than than straight drafting uh treasure hunter is basically just kind of like you're drafting several things uh the fascinating thing about the game which i think makes it unique is there sometimes are negative things on the board so actually sometimes you're tr trying to like dodge cards which is a very interesting decision in drafting games usually the drafting games are kind of like well everything's positive so like what's the most positive for me or like pull off some kind of a set thing and whatever uh this one sometimes has negative things um also there are sometimes kind of surprising cards where you can disable cards because again you're going for maybe a zero value or a low value because there's a, a high and low that's also something unique i guess i should say um there's uh a reward for having the highest of a color and the lowest of a color and you go through like three colors and you receive treasures which are basically your end game points and there's another kind of majority mechanic with dogs and whatever kind of thematic but it's a drafting game overall uh like i say a unique thing is uh, sometimes you're trying to dodge cards another unique thing sometimes cards like their cards which double value um their cards which disable cards um not as swingy as something like i'd say fantasy realms or just like not insanely swingy by any means uh but that's something about the game that i think is really cool is those decisions of sometimes trying to dodge cards or just uh small but surprising things which can happen sometimes unfortunately sometimes to you where you think you're winning something but like someone plays a card that doubles their value and suddenly you're actually winning nothing uh but i kind of enjoy it i think it's a fine game uh trevor had some comments uh, about player counts uh uh three versus six what what did you think about player counts <laughs> in the game trevor uh, i'm laughing because i know his feelings about the game but yeah uh more is better 
<laughs> that's that's my comment. <laughs> um, no, I think that we've talked about this a lot before. Um, but you know, the the game is fine with lo- lower player counts. But when we played it with six, I kind of had this moment where I was like, oh, this is what how this game gets really good because there's it's more chaotic. It's less prone to like one person just getting the good cards because one person doesn't understand what they're passing or they have to pass it and the cards just come around more often so you have more opportunity to just kind of stack up all the good stuff. So the the moments that Harista was describing of, you know, making decisions of uh, can I get this card or am I going to get squeaked out of, of being able to get it? Should I go for the low? I think those those moments are more tension-filled in a higher player count because you have fewer opportunities to get the cards you need and everybody's kind of in that same boat. And so the, at six players, it, it, it felt a lot more fun for me at least. Yeah, uh, Richard Graffield, by the way, specializes kind of in those types of drafting games where there's a circular draft of a lot of cards and uh, some of some other ones that, that I've mentioned. Actually, I think Bunny Kingdom is by him. Um, gosh, I was going to look yeah, it up. Yeah, it is. There's another monster kind of game where you're collecting lands and monsters. That one I did not like so much. So like his games are kind of weird hit and miss for me, but uh, this one is a little bit more family level, I think, but still has enough, I think, bite for interesting decisions for kind of uh, just an easygoing, fun, um, still kind of game night. Uh, what I mean is like it's not as simple as the simplest drafting game out there. But yeah, overall, I really like it. I think it's a, it's a cool game. I'm glad to have played it again. I also think it works probably better at higher player counts because you kind of want more competition for this one thing in the game, which I think is maybe too powerful with fewer players. So yeah, that's Treasure Hunter. Anything else, Trevor? That's it for me. All right, so we were thinking about doing a playthrough last week uh, of a certain game called Ping Yao, the first Chinese banks. Actually, first Chinese banks, I copy and pasted, so I think that's what it was called, which kind of tells you actually about, uh, well, it probably doesn't, but it's actually a foreign game. It's a Chinese game. Um, And we started reading the rules and we kind of gave up on it, which is kind of interesting. Uh, Both of us kind of stopped feeling like playing the game. (laughs) And uh, we were just talking about kind of uh, what happened there. I guess we were talking about uh, uh, just maybe some things that were kind of lost in translation. The rulebook, I think, is not uh, well translated. The weird thing is the publisher or whoever posted the Kickstarter is listed as in Denver, Colorado, which is really surprising. I don't know if they have like a contact for the English-speaking world, but you can definitely tell that the rulebook was translated from Chinese. There's some really weird choices of terms and stuff and uh the game is translated in english yeah inconsistent terms some weird stuff even like some of the rules i think were different between the kickstarter page itself and the uh rule book some significant things like where the if you get money uh if you you have to pay or if someone receives money because it's a dice placement game sometimes you play dice place dice on on top of other dice and sometimes you have to pay money or like uh 
I guess you receive money or whatever. The question was, do you get paid by the person or by the game? And the Kickstarter page said like by the person, but the rule book said by the game. So that's kind of a significant difference. So I don't know if we it's still like the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, like by the game, I mean the supply, like not by a person. Yeah. You just get the money from the supply, or uh, you get paid by the person. Uh, so we kind of uh, started talking about, uh, among other things, just kind of streamlining games, and uh, that's kind of going to be our relatively shorter topic probably today. So what is streamlining, Trevor? Enlighten us with what your thoughts about streamlining are. All right. You might, you might want to sit down for this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm I got, holding. I'm I got holding something the, I got to say. <laughs> I'm holding onto my chair. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's an interesting question, right? What does it mean for a game to be streamlined? Because... I I started thinking down one you know one stream of thought and then I thought oh well maybe that's also a streamlined and what's that cuz it's like one example of what a streamlined game might be conceived as is a simple game right something that yep. does not take a long time to learn there's not a lot of moving pieces and it's accessible right um but then that begs the question well, if a game is not small and has more than three rules and has a lot of components, <laughs> does that mean it's not streamlined? Uh, good question. I'm laughing actually because someone um, on the local meetup, I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but uh, they had on their profile, uh, I don't play games with more than two rules or something which basically like they meant i think party games um or just kind of really really simple games and i was like blown away by that statement <laughs> in a board gaming yeah. group i was like wow that i'm in the wrong place here or something what, what if the, uh, what if the game has three rules but each of those rules has five sub rules <laughs> uh, well, what if it have, what if it has one rule? You just play a card, kind of like uh, Lisboa. You just yeah. play a card. It's simple. Yeah. Just play a card and do what it says. <laughs> and, and the card kind of like trickles down into a tree of uh, seventeen decisions. Yeah. But anyway, no, it's, it's just uh, I got what she she meant uh, by that statement, but it's just kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, to your point, yeah, I think streamlining is uh, s kind of simplifying to me. Also to me, it's kind of removing a lot of things that are just kind of there for the sake of like maybe balance or because the designer thought it was a good idea at the time, but in practice, uh, they just kind of take you out of the flow of the game. That's kind of a big part of streamlining for me. And it's kind of very, I think, difficult to get it perfectly like right or something because a lot of games do need a lot of steps, especially complicated games, to kind of make them balanced or introduce interlocking mechanics. But uh, the whole discussion, I guess, rolling back to Ping Yao kind of also came upon us because there's a lot of what seemed, again, maybe it's uh, lost things lost in translation, but a lot of like arbitrary steps, which I think were designed to be thematic, but they're definitely not explained very thematically in the rulebook. So the rulebook is basically just like this giant list of like, well, you put this there so you can take one fame or like take one coin, but remember to put 12 coins in the supply and then put one uh, marker on the tile. Uh, and that was like pages upon pages of rules like that. So that's kind of what started me thinking on 
like why does this not feel <laughs> like like yeah. a coherent game and it just feels like a, a recipe of plus one minus one plus <laughs> yeah. one that's just kind of what what it's what, a it's a game of zeros and ones <laughs> yeah i mean the theme is banking so it's like super economic and whatever but it i was actually joking before we started reading it that it's uh, gonna feel like an accounting game or something and the joke is it kind of turned out to be maybe the case so jokes on me yeah but the the you know to that point though i think that there are economic simulation games that are streamlined right so it got me thinking about you know what's what's the differentiating point between a game like pingyao that that didn't feel streamlined in in learning it as opposed to a game that does feel streamlined and that got me thinking i think a huge part of 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 a game being streamlined is it's got to be intuitive which means the presentation has to be smooth. Yeah. Right. So your rule sure. book, yep. your rule book is sort of the game's first opportunity to present itself as being streamlined. And so even even a really complex game presented in in a really digestible way can make a a otherwise complicated game feel streamlined. Now I'm, I'm going to jump to an example. I guess a series of examples that everybody's going to say, no, that's not a streamlined game. What are you talking about? Mm, and the, the, uh, the, the things that come to mind, the games that come to mind are in particular, the Vital Lacerda games that um, the rule books have been uh, consulted with, uh, with Paul Grogan of, of gaming rules. And I say that not because I think that necessarily all, Lacerda games are streamlined to a T and easy and accessible, but that the the way that the rule book is presented makes an otherwise really complicated set of rules um, sort of intuitive to to learn. And and the I think the two primary reasons for that are uh, first how the rule book is presented, so like the flow of the rule book. And then second, which is a, a big credit to Vital Lacerda and, and other designers do this well, which is tying in what you're doing to some sort of thematic sense, right? Like the, the actions you're doing in the game make sense because you kind of have a, a, an idea of what it means uh, for what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, that kind of goes along with the theme comment that I had previously. Um, I would say for sure his later games are like that. I'd say Lishboy, which is actually maybe my favorite game by him, uh, has a lot of thematic ties. Actually, we had someone that was like crazy into the theme and uh, uh, like, I don't know if I care too much about like who the king like favored or whatever and like what the relationship with the church was and shops and, you know, whatever, kind of to an extent. Like I enjoy the theme, but he was like crazy into like every single detail why this happens uh so yes i think later games are like that um i would say earlier games i kind of disagree there because for example the gallerist and kanban uh they do feel generally thematic like definitely generally thematic uh but the, when you get to the specific actions there's definitely this kind of recipe of like steps going on and yeah. some of them feel thematic some of them feel like not so thematic unfortunately uh, and they're they're there just to kind of keep the game working and right. have some kind of a balance but i think he's gotten kind of better with later games as far as kind of going away from this like well 
move this forward plus one here remember to check for this and then insert this here push this here make sure that this is done you know like the, tap there's your a, head yeah. jump on one foot <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, get up get up walk around the table three times and then yeah, like, yeah. i agree well, with you though i think that the game that i had in mind was on mars in particular because everything you're doing in that game uh, just feels thematically tied to the otherwise abstract set of mechanics right so um i'm not saying that on mars is the most streamlined game in the world but i think that if the you know on the scale of complexity the more complex your game gets to feel streamlined and intuitive your rules have to be um something that you don't need necessarily a checklist to remember what to do Yep. Um, I was going to say, actually, going along with complex games, which uh, are really kind of complex, but feel very streamlined, uh, which are kind of the shining example of, in my opinion, kind of, well, theme integration and streamlining uh, because of theme integration is CGE games, in particular, Dungeon Pets and Alchemists. Uh, they're really complicated games, but the rulebooks, uh, we've previously talked about this, I think, make the games really kind of fun to even learn because they're kind of humorous a little bit but also there's a lot of rules but they're written in a really fun way and the things that you're doing in the games generally make like a lot of sense uh yes there's a lot of kind of steps and uh just kind of a lot of considerations and things going on in general but the way that the game just kind of works is the very like natural and you never feel like you're doing oh i forgot to do this action because of whatever because it's arbitrary because it's like i forgot plus one because plus one uh actually by the way speaking of which i watched the rado review and we're kind of trashing ping now but i should say that it's not necessarily like a bad game or anything the kickstarter was successful and if you want uh to check it out definitely check it out um, I think it's decent enough, probably, dice placement game, even though we didn't play it. Uh, I kind of got the idea of what it's supposed to work by watching the Rado uh, playthrough, which, by the way, ironically, if you turn on the subtitles, was full of errors of the exact kind <laughs> that I was mentioning, which is which was absolutely hilarious to me. It's like, oh, he forgot to get one fame. Oh, he forgot to, to get one coin. Oh, he forgot to pay 12 coins. Yep. Because those things are just like, not intuitive and they're just arbitrary and you just forget them because you have to either pay attention to the tiles or whatever so like the the review the playthrough itself was like a an example of <laughs> what, <laughs> of what we're talking about which was hilarious yeah. uh, i should say another streamlined game which i was really concerned that it's going to feel disconnected is anachrony uh that game has a lot going on but everything makes a lot of sense i was gonna say not a good example of streamlining by actually the same uh, publisher is probably Tricarian, even though generally pretty thematic, but there's like a mini game that you, I don't know if you've played it, I think not, Trevor. I have not played it yet, but I... <laughs> Anyway, I do most, have it on uh, pre-order for when it's back in print. Yeah, no, generally it's a really good game. I think it's really good. Uh, however, there are like mini games in it which are there for the sake of a mini game. For example, the performance on cards, like the tricks you do, are marked with these like uh, squares which have 
card symbols on the card suits on them and you're trying to match symbols and like thematically i guess you can like imagine that you're like chaining tricks with another magician and it's like flowing the performance is flowing or something or like the tricks are like building upon each other but basically it's a mini game that kind of takes you out of the game and it's just weird like there's a lot of there's more i guess i should say of those moments in tricary and then anachrony um it, there's a lot of kind of jarring stuff that kind of takes you out and i think also flow is part of streamlining is like if you feel like oh now i'm playing this mini game oh i'm playing this other mini game i think there's uh something kind of wrong there uh if that's the feeling of the game yeah yeah i could see that but i agree anachrony is a great pick of a game that looks intimidating um but when you play it 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 everything makes sense that you're doing um and so it it is kind of a heavier game and a longer game but you you kind of don't feel at least i don't feel burnt out after you're playing it because you're not it's not super fiddly right you're not trying to remember all these abstract rules it's just you, everything thematically makes sense and once you learn the game you kind of get it yeah i was gonna also mention for sure when we talk about streamlining i have to mention uh splendor absolutely and possibly azul we talked about it earlier mostly splendor i guess azul i would like it's actually kind of going into this uh comment that i had about abstract games by definition i think they're streamlined because they have to be because they're very minimalistic so that's just basically the entire design of abstract games is yeah is, well that's, uh, that's out is the uh is the lesson in what not to do for an abstract game rule book right because it's if you add a ton of complexity into an abstract game, there's nothing to anchor anybody down. So it just kind of gets lost when yeah, you're trying to learn it. Yeah, when it's abstract, you almost want this minimalism so you can kind of imagine what you're doing or like have some kind of a fantasy or something or imag imagine like kind of, you know, like when you're playing chess, like a battle or something or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. or whatever. Uh, but anyway, I was going to mention Splendor because that designer, I think, is uh, like he really focuses on streamlining, uh, in my opinion. Uh, his games are very, very, very bare bones, uh, but they work. And I think a lot of people like that. I think that's why I, my guess of still popular games was Splendor. Uh, because it's extremely simple. It's like basically down to the very, like, you can't take anything away <laughs> from it without there being almost like nothing. Uh, and also some other games that he's done, Barony, Majesty for the Realm, they also feel very like kind of really stripped down to uh, the 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 most simple way to do the actions without any like just cut everything away just get to the point uh and i actually like them uh i like barony it's a more abstract game it kind of feels actually kind of like a area enclosure games of the beginning of 2000s majesty is a really simple card kind of drafting game with a river uh but also really fun but yeah those games are just uh I, I don't know what he's been doing lately, actually, uh, but Splendor Marvel. Splendor Marvel, apparently. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not very creative, I guess I should say. Uh, I swear kind of he's game. made that game before. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marvel everything. Uh, there's a Soul Raiders game 
uh, supposedly coming in 21, which actually looks kind of like a more uh, complicated game by him, so that's a first. But uh, yeah, I think uh, something like Splendor is like the epitome of uh, streamlining, which I think it's too simple, but like I say, it's uh, very popular because it's easy to learn, easy to pick up, and very kind of intuitive once you kind of get uh, get it. Yeah, that's certainly its own category of, of streamlined games, games like Splendor, and I think Sentry is probably falling into that category. I would also throw um, maybe more traditional trick-taking games um, into that category of games that are not complicated to learn and, and people just get it. You know, even though they're kind of abstract. Um, So I I think that, so we've talked about two categories of of, uh, games. So it's like complex games. How does a complex game become streamlined through presentation and, you know, intuitive uh, rules, maybe really tied to theme. And we have this category of just games that are abstract but simple, not a lot of rules, not a lot of components, nothing really fiddly about the game. Um, then there's there's another category of game that I was thinking about in the context of streamlining, um, which is smaller versions of larger games, where um, you know you take this larger, more complicated game, and then the designer basically distills it down to a smaller game, and it could be a different type of game like a roll and write, or a two player version of the game, or a card game version of the same game couple of examples that come to mind are Seven Wonders came out, and then a couple years later, we got Seven Wonders Duel. Then we had Agricola, then we have a two-player version of Agricola, which is the, you know, all creatures big and small. Same thing with Caverna and Caverna Cave versus Cave. Recently, we had uh, Twa Dice, which is a smaller version in the same universe as, as Twa. There's also a roll and write version of Rajas of the Ganges. Um, what do you think about... Uh, the conversation of streamlining in the context of those types of games. Do you think that that's really streamlining or is that just reinventing a different game? Uh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about this category. Actually, I was thinking in terms of more designing a new game or just kind of like creating a new game, I guess. But yeah, when you take an existing game and just kind of cut away some parts of it to make it uh, easier, yeah, definitely counts. Um, I don't know. Actually, for me, with those type of games, generally speaking, I prefer to play the full game because I feel like uh, most of the time when you cut away things from the full game you sacrifice complexity which yeah. i like just perfect personally that's that what i be, prefer perfect yeah, yeah. example that would be brussels right brussels yeah brussels is one of them actually i was thinking about masters of the renaissance also mercado de lisboa is coming out which is interesting uh, i think brandon has that one hopefully coming because i'm kind of well. i'm kind of curious yeah. of how it's going to play but yeah these are just kind of like uh, also selenia actually selenia is basically a uh, stripped down one of the cut cut one of the three mini games in black angel uh, what's basically. actually funny is that selenia predated black angel so it's almost like reverse streamlining <laughs> yeah well the funny thing is also black angel has been in production for like 10 years supposedly so i'm guessing like uh maybe he thought oh, it was never, it never gonna come out <laughs> just kidding <laughs> No, I I think uh, he was maybe it was also kind of uh, designed to get interest in Black Angel. It's like kind of play Sylvania as a demo and like ooh play Black Angel with two more mini games. Now with two more mini games. <laughs> yeah, well that but, kind of raised the question of of 
you know, does streamlining make a game better or worse? And I think it depends on what context you're you're talking about, right? Because yeah. in, in these contexts of making a smaller or different version, a larger game, it's not necessarily always better. Yeah, that's kind of weird, actually. It's a really weird because I there's a now that you're talking about like making a small game, large game, or a small game out of a large game. Uh, the opposite has also happened with, uh, for example, Race for the Galaxy, where uh, it used to be the simple card game, and then came out like uh, the one with the dice roll for the galaxy, and then uh, basically they made Race for the Galaxy the board game, which actually kind of still like but i kind of prefer the card game so it's it's weird <laughs> maybe maybe for <laughs> me it's like what came first or something i don't know i have yeah. no idea or I, or I feel like if you touch something that's like good you kind of ruin it maybe i don't know that's maybe part of it but yeah i know to your point i don't think it's necessarily bad uh yes you cut some complexity by reducing a game or streamlining it to a smaller game but also it plays in a shorter amount of time and a lot of people don't have a lot of time to like go through massive rule books and play longer games so it just kind of depends on what you like i guess uh that's yeah. why splendor is so popular i think because it's uh, very easily approachable yeah one one i'm actually looking forward to trying to see if it if it does the trick is um the arkwright card game um, oh, yeah i've not played the well. actual board game but i've i've heard uh, that it's just you know it's like playing an enormous spreadsheet very complicated um sort of abstract maybe hard to grasp maybe that's not true I've, i'd have to play it myself to to know but i you know the card game came up on kickstarter uh, a little while ago and it pitched itself as a pretty heavy card game that distilled arkwright down to you know maybe a, a more approachable but still heavier type game and so I'm interested to see if this is an, an instance of a game where streamlining a larger game actually does make it better. Yeah, we might be in the demographic where uh, it's kind of like one of those people that can't play or don't that, that don't feel like playing a two-hour complex Euro game and just want like a 60-minute card game experience we might be the right audience for a game where we don't want to spend like four hours playing arc right and just kind of suffering through uh whatever maybe a massive cheat experience <laughs> and uh we instead want like an hour and a half card game so maybe we're in, in the exact like yeah target audience for that but yeah i'm excited for that one and see to see how it uh, will kind of play because i'm actually in the same boat as you i've looked at dark ride before uh, actually in some detail and i just feel like it's uh, gonna be a lot of crunching for uh, kind of like how i feel about pipeline I actually had a concern that carnegie was gonna feel that way but luckily it actually feels better than a bunch of crunching and just kind of numbers <laughs> just <Yeah>. pushing <laughs> pushing numbers around uh and also very long like i've heard that arc right is basically like three and a half four hours of game of number crunching which doesn't sound too fun even to me so i have my limits after all but yeah now i i'm excited for that one yeah it should be i'm i'm hoping it's good because i backed it so I spent money, therefore it will be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's the Kickstarter mantra right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually waiting for retail because the Kickstarter was uh, kind of whatever. I think it had some cosmetic stuff, and I, I was like, eh. But I definitely look forward to playing it, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I think we've answered the question. 
what is streamlining? Who knows? It's a lot of different things. <laughs> Does it make it better or worse? Who knows? It depends on the game. Yes. <laughs> Actually, one one example I wanted to talk about really quickly uh, before we move on or before you, you know, you've got any other thoughts um, is... I had this question going through my mind is does streamlining make a game better or worse? And the first example that came to mind was tapestry. Um, and the reason it came to mind is that one of the big points of that, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer was, uh, selling the game on, you know, pre-release was the fact that it's a Civ game with only four pages of rules. Um, not technically true, right? Because there's two <laughs> full sheets of card references. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but the it's core, like like the, the core mechanics, yeah. It's kind of like how Lorenzo has like three pages of rules, and then like you're looking for an icon which doesn't exist in the rule book, and you're like, what the <laughs> <Yeah>. heck? <laughs> Who wrote this rule book? So yeah, I have my reservations about games which promise like really short rule books, and then the rule book's like not enough, and you have to look for an FAQ yeah. and go on BGG, and it's like ah. Yeah, anyway. and that's actually a good example. You know, Lorenzo didn't necessarily sell itself as having, you know, a, a short rule book, but um you know, Tapestry is not the hardest game to grasp, right? It's it's fairly simple, but I do remember when we started playing it, um you know, you you'll encounter these situations when you're playing that you feel maybe at first until you kind of understand it, uh that are not covered by the rule book. Um, so maybe there's something to be said over, you know, if you're, you're trying to streamline too much to the point where it's actually becoming a det detriment to the streamlined feel of your game. I don't know if you had a similar feeling of, of like that. Uh, with tapestry, not particularly, cause I think we found out most of the answers. There was maybe like one or two questionable situations. It was kind of a weird experience learning the game, but I, I don't remember much from actually yeah. like, the experience of learning the game. I think it was mostly fine. Uh, there have been some rule books with emissions. Actually, Cry Havoc is another game, which I'd say is very not streamlined. I really like it, but like a lot of exceptions, a really long FAQ document when the rule book, uh, when the game came out and you read the rule book you're just like oh yeah i got this this is easy and then you start <laughs> playing and like the very first round you run into a problem which is not covered by the rule book and you're like okay well <laughs> maybe. that sounds a lot like stronghold <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then you go to bgg and there's like an faq and the uh, explanations which is like five six pages long and you're like well maybe the rule book should have actually been longer and yeah. covered those situations uh, yeah, I think Tapestry is a good example of a game that it, it actually is kind of that easy to grasp, but the the short rule book kind of I, I noticed at least initially there were a lot of posts and forums on BGG of people just like weren't kind of getting it, and you know I think it's just a matter of of ability and reading rule books, but it brought it raised the question of you know if you're trying to streamline too much then you kind of like you were discussing with uh, Cry Havoc, you kind of like kill your game a little bit, right? Because people don't understand yeah. it. Well, that's also like trying to streamline the rule book for a complicated game. Um, I think if he had tried to like keep the rule book appropriate to the game, it wouldn't have that problem. But yeah, anyway. Uh, those games with lots of icons, though, kind of abstract uh, in some way, and it kind of goes back also to the intuitiveness. Generally, games with icons are not overly intuitive. It's usually a very big success if 
like usually it's like a card that depicts something or an action and if the action feels like what the icons are then i'd say that's pretty successful theme uh which yeah doesn't happen sometimes sometimes they're just like pictures or arbitrary or like i'm doing like uh building up barracks and why does this give me resources who knows you know like <laughs> yeah. stuff like that is just yeah. like kind of arbitrary Reminds me of the player aid for Tournay, which is actually not a complicated game, but the player aid's like a full page, uh, I, I think, yeah. because uh, there's just a lot of iconography. But once you once you get it, you know it's not not a hard game. But yeah, yeah. But anyway, going back to the summary, yeah, for me, definitely, um, I think removing a lot of. Uh, I, like I don't know I'm not a board game designer by any means but we've played a lot of board games and you can kind of see games which have done this well and games which kind of haven't done this so well and that doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of the game but I think like uh, if this there's something to be said about distilling actions to their essence and just not having a lot of fluff even if it like balances the game or something uh, for sure also like uh, tying tying the actions to the theme of what you're doing really huge as far as the enjoyment of the game for me and also remembering the rules after you haven't played the game for like six months because it just makes sense um so yeah yep that's that's kind of all i have as far as uh, streamlining goes whether it's good or bad yeah depending depends on objective like uh depends yeah and that's our streamlined discussion of streamlined games. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's move on to games that are on our horizon. All right. Uh, I'll start with a game which actually we're both probably going to talk about, um, and the other two probably not, actually. Does that have to uh, do with beef? Yes, it has to do with beef, beef stroganoff. Just kidding. It's just stroganoff, which I thought was kind of funny. But uh, actually, the theme of the game is pretty cool, I think. Uh, very unique as well. It's almost a little bit surprisingly. Um, I'm trying to type with one hand because I'm holding my microphone. Anyway, adventures. But Stroganoff is actually the newest game by Andreas Stedding. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now. It just launched maybe a couple of days ago, I think, or something. Um, it's a game where you are developing, expanding throughout Siberia. And you are, I guess, actually, in the game mostly, which was the most surprising uh, part for me, is hunting, I think. Like, that's basically a yeah, big part of the game. Yeah, getting pelts or something. Yeah, it's hunting for thematically pelts, I guess, or whatever you're delivering. Maybe animals or pelts from animals, I guess, thematically. Um, I really kind of like the art. I think the art's pretty cool. It has this kind of bright board with uh, white, which is lots of snow, I guess, because Siberia, right? I don't know. That's what I thought. But uh, I think it looks nice and like bright, uh, predominantly white. Really cool uh, looking game. Uh, it looks like some kind of a path game where you're drafting resources from a path and every you play four years and basically it symbolizes kind of like uh expanding eastward uh throughout siberia and uh kind of actually represents also hunting 
the animals and like depleting the animals because it's kind of funny uh maybe intentional unintentional i don't know talk about theme integration uh as you hunt animals they disappear obviously and like if you don't uh whatever it's called like conquer territories or something i think which removes them you have to go kind of further and further out each year to begin hunting them um otherwise you have to trade with settlements or whatever which i guess thematic like right you're depleting the natural resources maybe or like the animals around you and instead you're establishing villages and i guess trying to please the tar uh who gives you uh, objectives because the tar likes uh pelts <laughs> particular <laughs> particular kinds that is uh that is the abstract nature oh of the game gosh. i should say is uh yeah the tar has these random objectives of like deliver me three bear pelts and we'll be cool it's a uh, game about getting pelts to sell pelts to see if people want pelts so that you can provide them yeah. with pelts <laughs> by the way do you want some pelts <laughs> Yeah, uh, really, uh, there's kind of a lot of resource conversions mixed in, and uh, I kind of watched a play half of a playthrough, but it looks like there's a lot of options for what you can do, which uh, is kind of, for me, the exciting part of the game, a little bit of maybe engine building, but like basically a lot of options uh, about how you can trade in pelts to do different actions or just basically do different things. Yeah, so it seems like the sort of the core mechanic of how you get to do the actions is you're going to be sending, was it a Cossack? A, um, yeah, little meeple. Your meeple. Yeah, you're going to be sending your tribe it down. Or, something, or your hunters or something. I don't yeah. know what it represents. Yeah, so you'll be sending it down just a line um, to different spots, uh, as Teresa was mentioning, you know, further and further out. And from what I understand, when you get to a spot, you do sort of a basic action, pick up a pelt or something. And then where you are and what time of year it is dictates other major action or main actions you can do. Um, so there's like a cool timing puzzle here of maybe you want your worker to be in a certain spot at a certain time of year. Um, you want to have gathered certain types of pelts to do certain types of you know other more influential actions uh i haven't read the rules or anything like that uh but it, it's it does seem really unique and kind of and really cool yeah yeah i was gonna say also is i'm not so much of a designer fan necessarily but i like this guy even uh latest game from him was gugong which for some people was kind of a disappointment i actually liked it i don't have anything against gugong um actually i thought it was good i haven't played war of the buttons which is <laughs> very gugong weird was the only sounding. game they highlighted in the kickstarter video so i think they think it's good <laughs> oh, because it's by Game Brewer, I think. Yeah. But anyway, he made some kind of game called War of the Buttons, which is really weird. I haven't heard of it. I actually looked at the Stalford Dynasty, um, kind of a heavier game, a little bit drier. I think it's well designed, but uh, for some reason, unclear. It's quite a bit. I, I keep I kept seeing it over the last couple oh, of years. That's but prime I generally, time for you to buy it. <laughs> yeah maybe i don't know who i'm gonna convince to play it with me though but i really like the designer it's all started with hans Tatonica. i think hans Tatonica is a kind of a masterpiece Firenze, not so much i still liked it i recently actually bought the reprint but yeah andreas Stenning, i'm a fan so i'm looking forward to this i don't know if i'll back to kickstarter ne uh, necessarily i'll take a look at it uh it's not overly expensive i don't think they're fleecing too much for it so that's a good thing 
Uh, so yeah, um, TBD will play it sometime. Uh, yeah, and I that wish is, they had a, a TTS mod for it. <laughs> yeah, and that's strong enough. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm with you. I I think I'm looking forward to play it. I don't know if I'll back it because at seventy dollars, I mean, you do get the deluxe version, but I'll guarantee you this game's going to be in retail for like fifty yeah. bucks. Yep. So we'll see. Yes. All right, uh, I'll bring up real quickly the. Um, game i'm looking forward to is actually an expansion uh for Christo's favorite game in the world paladins of the west kingdom uh actually i should say i did i don't dislike paladins i think uh it's pretty decent i think he's getting better over time though yeah yeah i agree um yeah definitely agree so the this expansion is called city of crowns expansion for Paladins of the West Kingdom, which is a, a worker placement game. And what this uh, expansion is going to add to the game is, um, well, it's a couple things. So first of all, it's going to put four more Paladins in your deck to choose from. And so, you know, in the core game, at the start of your turn, you're drawing three Paladin cards, and then you're picking one Paladin to be the Paladin you're playing as that round who gives you certain types of benefits and gives you your uh, worker income for the start of that round to you know different colors, do different things. So that's a really important mechanic. What this does is it adds four more to your deck, and now you're drawing four cards... Uh, four paladin cards you'll put one on your board to play as that round you'll put one on top one on bottom just like in the core game but then you're going to trash uh, a paladin so you're going to ex exile him from your deck so that is a paladin you will never see for the rest of that game They're interested to see how that changes the dynamic um, each player also gets a personal king's order card which is just an end game scoring card so there's uh, more scoring opportunities in addition to the cards that are on the central board you'll get your own personal card. Um, it adds an extra space for the invader cards. Um, so more opportunity for you to murder or convert people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were uh, talking about that. Not tolerate. There is no such option. It's no. murder or convert. <laughs> yep, you murder or convert them. That's it. <laughs> um, and then it actually adds an extension to your player board that adds two new actions, which are muster and negotiate. And um, basically, uh, from what I could gather of, of the little I've read about this so far is that uh, these, these two actions um, interact with a new placement area in a common, on, on the common board. Um, one of the, I think it's muster, will move around this diplomat uh maybe it's negotiate actually you'll move around a, a shared diplomat um meeple and you move it back and forth between i think it's three or four different card spots on the main board so you'll be picking up cards that have benefits on them that may even allow you to do actions on your player board so in other words it becomes an, a way to do actions more than one time on your player board without having to spend the same uh the same meeples to do it um if i counts as bleeding backwards in time it is it is actually <laughs> bleeding back and forth it is because there's actually some there's a set collection mechanic oh, being wow. added yeah. so there's a bit of set collection um uh you there's actually an added uh trait uh token so on normally you only have the three right the red blue and black i think this is adding another 
uh, trait, which is diplomacy. So there'll be another way to push up uh, a, a marker on your scoring track. Um, and these, the, there's another spot available in the middle f- to interact with cards that are going to pump up that, you know, that thing. So, um, I know everything I just said is kind of abstract and doesn't really make a lot of sense, but basically I think this, um, the general gist of this expansion is that it's going to give you more options to, um, interact with your player board a bit more, um, some of the cards, like I said, in the expansion will allow you to get resources that are otherwise really tight and difficult to come by. Um, it, it'll allow you to take actions on your board more often than you were able to in the uh, base game without, you know, praying and getting people off your spots and stuff like that. So it seems like it's going to add some cool uh, decisions to the game. I'm looking forward to it. That's uh, Paladins of Lost Kingdom, City of Crowns. I don't know if you've even looked at this. No, I was going to say actually about that. Uh, it does the base game does feel very kind of linear because uh, the whole game is oriented towards kind of paying some amount to make it an action cheaper and what are you going to do afterwards well obviously like spam the action as much as possible because it's cheaper for you so basically it's kind of like pick like if i remember correctly three actions or something and spam them a lot um and that sounds uh like a welcome addition to kind of introduce something else other than spamming the same action over and over uh very uh thinky game to begin with though so hopefully all this ridiculousness doesn't make it even crazier than it already is <laughs> I, so, I think that it's not going to be streamlining the game <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like a lot of stuff is going to be happening in an already kind of complicated game so we'll yeah. see how that goes i, I, I don't guess. know if i described it very well but it, it does look like it's not a it's not going to be overly complicated but i also don't think it's going to do anything to bring the playtime down <laughs> yeah yeah, also kind of longer game as well. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, uh, speaking of simultaneous action selection and the race for galaxy in Puerto Rico coming back, uh, Trevor mentioned it previously, and I looked at it. And RS Expedition, which is the terraforming Mars card game, uh, I think is what's called RS Expedition, right? I think yeah, that's the, what the it's Ares, called. Ares Expedition yeah, or something or like that. Ares, whatever, yeah, Ares Expedition. Uh, that game actually looks like basically Race for the Galaxy coming back. That's kind of crazy. I looked at kind of how the game plays and not in a lot of detail, but uh, you select actions collectively and... Uh, only those actions trigger, so like kind of exactly the same as Race for Galaxy, and also you get a benefit for doing the action if you selected it, again, like Race for the Galaxy. Uh, so I think it's actually, I really like that style of game, um, and I kind of didn't like the drawn-out nature of Terraforming Mars so much. I didn't appreciate how it kind of takes like two, two and a half hours of like really slow burn building. Uh, so actually this might be something I might be interested in uh, because it sounds really good and kind of like 
um, a game that I would like. I looked at some specific cards to see kind of effects and stuff, but it's really hard to tell how the game plays uh, without actually playing the game, especially a game of that kind. But I'm really kind of looking forward to and yet another example of kind of simultaneous action selection coming back. Um, speaking of streamlining, shorter game, I think it's uh, supposed to be about an hour or something as opposed to Terraforming Mars, which is longer. Uh, kind of a shorter Terraforming Mars the card game, but not really because it's kind of a different mechanic. So, yeah, there, there were no card games in the original. Yeah, well, <laughs> the original was a card game. What I mean is like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the simultaneous action, action selection is actually way different from Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars is just kind of do actions. This is going to feel, I think, very unique and kind of like exactly like a new game with the same theme, but I mean, the I think it's going to have a completely different feeling. Yeah, I, I'm actually... So I maybe I'm one of the few in our group that still enjoys playing Terraforming Mars, but you're right. <laughs> it is it is a slow burn, kind of you know longer game, especially if it's with people who, who haven't had the opportunity to play it much. Um, so yeah, this is, actually, this is actually kind of cool. I'm actually looking at the, the pledge levels on... Uh, on the Kickstarter right now, and it's something kind of interesting. As it, you know, you can pledge for thirty nine bucks and get the games. Like, oh well, that's that's not too bad. But then I, I go there, and there's like all these optional add ons. You can add card sleeves for yeah, thirty dollars, yeah. metal resource cubes for forty five dollars, play, play mat neoprene, play mat, the yeah, usual. play mats for fifteen bucks um, so or twenty five for four. Speaking of ridiculous add-ons, by the way, Stroganov has the most, uh, the funniest add-on I've seen in a while. Uh, I think for like 425, you can have your game customized by you sending a picture and the artist painting like a uh, tribe leader in your likeness, uh, which I think is pretty cool. But I mean, I don't know if it's like 425 cool. Uh, but that's kind of a really unique thing. Um, I don't know how many requests they're going to get and how much work they're going to pile on the poor artist who's going to be drawing different people, uh, probably a lot of different people. That <laughs> would be they, like the, the most expensive gag gift ever to like <laughs> send in a really unflattering picture of someone and, <laughs> and have them yeah. painted into the game. <laughs> Yeah, but very unique. Uh, I, I don't know if there's been too many games where usually they do something like uh, only limited to 10 people where you can get your face in the game or something. This one is open to basically everyone as long as you pay a lot to have the artist paint your face into your game. So unique. But anyway, back to Iris or Eris, Ares, Ares Expedition. I don't know what you were saying about... Oh, yeah, Kickstarter customization. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, We'll see if I'm going to get the Kickstarter or maybe just wait for retail, depending on stuff. Yeah, I'll take a closer look at it. I um, I have everything for Terraforming Mars. Well, probably not everything. I don't have like all the promo cards and everything, but I do have all the expansions. I still, Like I said, I still enjoy that game. So this one looks like it's uh, going to be one that, that uh, I'm going to keep my eyes on. Yeah, sounds really cool. Anything else for you? That's it for me. Uh, just a really quick mention, and that's going to be it. Fun fair. Uh, I played 
Unfair a while ago, which is a game about kind of engine building with some kind of uh, take that actually famously. That's why it's called Unfair. Uh, so it was kind of a play on words on obviously you're building a fun fair, but it's unfair because people are doing uh, bad things to you and trying to sabotage your rides and like shut them down and stuff. And uh, supposedly it was going to be an unpleasant game and really trolly and everyone was like really outraged or not outraged but like people were like oh i don't know engine building game with take that uh i actually think it was not bad i actually kind of liked it i don't know if our game was not the most take that field that that game can produce only played it once a long time ago but anyway they're coming up with fun fair which is the fun version of Unfair, which is also, unfortunately, I'd say streamlined as well, meaning shorter game, simpler game, and it also takes out the take-that mechanics. Uh, but that's another kind of engine-building game, which is kind of on my radar. What also made me really interested in it is that there's uh, supposedly a really well-made uh, tabletop simulator mod, which is also official, like really well-scripted and stuff. Uh, so it's another like an hour-long kind of engine-building game with where you build... Um, a ride or a, f a park uh, amusement park uh, without the take that mechanics i honestly didn't really have much of a problem with the take that mechanics some people kind of uh, are comparing them and saying that they don't appreciate the simplifying of this new game they prefer kind of the, the more complexities of the original even with the take that so i have my reservations but uh, just something that popped up that i was like oh yeah that sounds really interesting so fun fair maybe we'll get to play it sometime We'll see. Uh, so that's all the games that I had on my horizon, and it sounds like on Trevor's horizon. Sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, fair. Fun and fair. Fun and fair. My favorite things. <laughs> all right. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron Network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, Cards and Cubes podcast at gmail.com or visit our website www.cardsandcubes.com We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E -E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.